happening now. We want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. This is EdTech Situation Room, episode number 270. Today is September 14th, 2022, and my name is Jason Neifer. I'm the Executive Director of the Montana Digital Academy, which is Montana State Virtual School located on the beautiful University of Montana campus located in Missoula, Montana. But tonight, I'm joining you from Montana's capital city, Helena, Montana, where I will be speaking to the board of public education tomorrow. So I'm excited to have an opportunity to speak to education leaders in our state and talk a little bit about more about Montana's distance learning program. And joining me tonight, as always, good evening, Dr. West Fryer. How are you tonight, sir? I'm doing good, Jason. I'm glad to be here. I got a haircut yesterday, but it doesn't look that different. You got a haircut, sir. And, you know, as you said, you're, you might be 10 years younger. So, wow, what are you going to ask the board for? I'm sure they're going to give you anything <laughs> that you ask for look, looking so young and handsome tomorrow. So. Well, luckily, all we need is blessings from them. So that's that's about the extent of it. Um, but it's a real it's my first real opportunity um, to speak to <laughs> the public education. I have had the opportunity a couple of times to speak to the legislature this year. Um, we're in an off year. Uh, in Montana, our legislature meets for 90 session days every two years. And so they have interim committees uh, that were working on issues. And so it's been an honor to uh, speak to policymakers across the state. And then tomorrow I'm going to put on my, um, you know, my, my good suit and, and head off to the Capitol to talk to uh, the Board of Public Education. So I'm excited to do that. That's awesome. Well, I am a media literacy and robotics middle school teacher here in the Charlotte, the greater Charlotte, North Carolina area. I mean, coming from Matthews tonight. Um, and I need to check in on another unrelated to technology question. Where are you with your barbecue smoker and the possible vision quest of amazingly backyard, you know, amazingly grilled and smoked backyard meats? Well, um, I think it's going to be a birthday present to myself is, and my birthday's in October. So I think that's the direction I'm going to go into. I've been doing quite a bit of research and as soon as I have, uh, some different options, then of course I'm going to utilize my, um, uh, what barbecue learning network. Is that the way you put it? Absolutely. Uh, and talk to Dr. Fryer to, to see what, what direction I'm going into. But, um, we are actually starting a big project in our house. It's the first major renovation we're doing. We're going to put in a new kitchen. Um, we have a very awkwardly shaped kitchen. It's not designed super well, and we're not using the space very well. And we were going to do some intermediary pieces, but have decided that uh, we just want to go ahead and and uh, get the job done and 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 strip it down to the studs and start over again. Um, but during that time, we'll be without a kitchen. So I'm hoping to. This will be in late October, early November. Some of our cooking may be on one of these crazy devices that we're thinking about doing. Um, I'm also looking at getting a backyard griddle. Uh, you probably heard of like a Blackstone as an example of that. And um, I've also been super tempted by that as well. So the snow may be flying in Montana, but we will be eating, um, uh, you know, excellent uh, smoked meats and other delights uh, out of uh, some sort of, 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 of meat processing facility. I know we'll do Geeks of the Week at the end of the show, but do you know about Edumeat? I do not know about Edumeat. <laughs> okay, we're talking E-D-U-M-E-A-T, and this is yep. John uh, Carippo, if I'm saying his name right, out in California, and then he's teamed up with um, J. Matt Miller. And so here's the – oops, I didn't get the whole tweet. Uh, there, It's five bucks to sign up for the next one, and you know, let's just – Forget all this ed tech news. Let's talk. 
Um, okay, so here's the here's the link. Um, for five dollars, less than the cost of a package of hamburger, you can get Edgy Meat certified by J. Matt Miller and by uh, John Carippo. Uh, save thousands on badly cooked meat, only five dollars. So you sign up. They've got a teachable um, course, and then there are multiple several live sessions, and it's basically you know, cook the best barbecue you can. And it's, uh, it's just for teachers. So there you go. Normally we save the best for last, but now it's right at the beginning. What are we going to do besides talk about edgy meat and haircuts tonight, Jason? Well, I think we have another agenda. Uh, we've been collecting some links over the last week or so, um, that are kind of technology related and we're going to shoot them through the prism of education and see if we can't find some interesting things to talk about that impact teachers, schools, and learning uh, across the United States and beyond. And as usual, we have a variety of topics tonight, which include Apple, Google, security, YouTube, social media, the tech correction, as we like to call it, uh, some platform news, hardware news, and then stable diffusion, which I have no idea what that is. And I'm assuming Dr. Fryer will help uh, clarify that for me. And then we'll end our podcast tonight with our geeks of the week. Um, Dr. Fryer, is there any particular topic you'd like to start with tonight? Well, I will first recognize that uh, the you are the, uh, the 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 tech geek with the, of the semicolon. Somehow we should we should have something on your your shield and crest. So Jason did the yeoman's work today with all of the links. I'm I'm happy to defer to you, but um, Let's talk some security. How about the the malware ransomware threat for LA? Uh, that one we can get we can knock out one topic with one article. So why don't we? Sure. Well, um, there was a this has been reported in a lot of different uh, locations, um, uh, but uh, this is from the Verge on September 9th and talks about that there was a, a massive ransomware attack over Labor Day weekend at LA Unified School District, which is one of the nation's largest school districts. Uh, and what is interesting about this is that um, uh, uh, there was all sorts of, of uh, 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 interesting bits here about the technology behind some of this stuff. But in essence, what happened was that uh, a particular system, it's like a financial system, was targeted. And once they were in the network, they were able to do other damaging uh, malware, including uh, installing some ransomware uh, that uh, is something u- utilizing called a trick bot botnet. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, then the, the, the nastiness had begun. And the, 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 there's a couple of interesting things in the article. The first one was that uh, uh, there are some tech directors in smaller districts in the region that said that they were surprised that LA Unified was targeted uh, because they tend not to go after super large school districts because they tend to be more secure. There's a perception that they're more secure. They have more security staff, and yet this happened anyways. But also, and, and I've seen references to this uh, in, in literally dozens of articles over the past six weeks, schools are absolutely at the top of target lists. Um, and uh, we've talked about this a number of times. Uh, we also had some conversations about this pre-COVID, um, about some Montana districts that are targeted. And the bottom line is, is that schools remain a very attractive target to scammers because the information may be relatively low value, 
but it's the kind of information that causes all sorts of FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And if, you know, your kids' grades end up getting posted to a website or you get uh, uh, targeted by text messages with your you or your kids' personal data, um, that's going to raise some attention and create all sorts of UG in regards to uh, uh, perceptions of community schools. And that's a that's a reason why um, some of, 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 of bad actors are targeting schools. So it's not too much to uh, have drills related to uh, uh, cybersecurity. It's not that much to do in-services with teachers and talk to teachers and students and parents as well about basic digital hygiene so that you're utilizing even very basic strategy and then starting to talk about some of the more advanced things you can do uh, to utilize um, um uh, good, 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 good strategies to protect yourself from this nastiness. Well, lots of intersections with this. Uh, I had a, a recent conversation with a tech leader um, whose cybersecurity insurance, um, so insurance against malware attacks, ransomware, etc., is requiring every adult over eighteen to use two-factor on their accounts. So we've talked about that. I think it was back in 2017 when I was tech director that we had followed the lead of another school that was in our network, went ahead and, and started to require that on our Google accounts. But it's interesting that, you know, insurers are now yeah. uh, in some cases forcing, you know, school districts to do that. Um, <laughs> I'll talk a little bit in my geek of the week um, a bit about this, but again, other conversations, the, 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 the level of attacks, um, and we are vectors, meaning we are entry points into our school systems because of our email accounts. And yes, there's information and, um, you know, you know, personal information and things like that. But then there's also the business office and, you know, what the, the superintendent in that article from Los Angeles, you know, was was very proud of this IT team because they, you know, restored access within two hours of their system, which may speak to what you were saying, that large districts tend to be well-staffed in terms of, you know, capable folks that are sort of guarding the gates and, and able to defend. Um, backups are key to this. Uh, Oklahoma City had had a very substantial uh, attack that I didn't have inside information about, but knew, you know, people that were, that were there. Um, it's just... It's it's pervasive and it's not something that is just, oh, the IT department worries about that or admin. I mean, these are these are things that we are dealing with personally in terms of malware and bad actors and, and folks that are trying to get at our information, get at our bank accounts. But um, the threat just keeps getting bigger and bigger. I really wish we were going to be able to to come on the show at one point and say, folks, we've turned the corner and now, you know, it's uh, all the cyber crime is is headed down and, and all the trend lines are going in the right direction. I just don't think that is where we are are going to go. And I see absolutely no no sign of this abating in any way. So I, we know that this gets to be kind of uh, a, a, what do we call it? beating a beating a dead horse or something. That's probably not a very, you know, animal friendly term, but whatever. It gets old, um, but we might not have said it in a while. And it's just so important because this is affecting everybody. And, you know, schools will debate whether or not to test. Sometimes I've, I know some friends who are tech directors and they've done things like, you know, send out a, you know, 
fake uh, phishing email, which is sometimes like, you know, you have a package you need, click here, and, you know, how many people click it? And then they have a assembly with all the teachers. Look, teachers, we had 40% of you click this link, and this could have been a bad thing that compromised us. I don't know that um, that is a great way to spend funds and resources, but I think we can rest assured that we all are vulnerable in the kinds of things that that uh, Jason and I talk about and try to practice in terms of auditing passwords, using long, complex, and unique passwords, and turning on multi-factor everywhere. Um, these are things we just got to keep talking to people about. And I'm still kind of amazed at the, the folks that I visit with who are not yet using a password manager. And so these are all conversations we need to just keep having because there's no sign that the threat is going to abate. And just like you said, for this article, anybody can be a target. And it's not just like the small schools that don't have the staff. It's the big schools. It's the small schools. It's everybody. And I'm sorry to bring that that bad news, but I think that's reality. Yep, very much true. Okay, um, why don't we dig into maybe a, a bit of a deeper topic for uh, kind of more tech stuff. Uh, let's talk about recent Apple news. Uh, iOS 16 is downloaded and available for iPhone 8s and above. Uh, Dr. Fryer, were you an early installer of iOS 16? I am not, but I am got to tell you, Jason, I'm so tempted. The carrier, you know, promos. I mean, I have an XR. I have a 64 gig XR. I can tell you what I have now. Uh, you know, 400 bucks. I can sell this thing for swap up, maybe for 200. Uh, but a $400 carrier rebate is just incredibly tempting. So no, I did not install. Did you go ahead and uh, do that today? Um, I didn't, and I had a very specific reason for it, which is my uh, one of my medical sensors, because uh, I wear many of them now, um, uh, on my body is not compatible yet with iOS 16. And so it is a critical system for me. I don't have a backup uh, available. Um, I guess I could get an old phone and set that up and yada, yada, yada. But um, I have uh, did do some Reddit searching and other uh, users of this is a glucose monitor uh, that I'm talking about said that that they've read uh, quite a few times that while people that have updated to the beta uh, had a good experience with it, uh, Dexcom, uh, might, the company might actually be turning um, uh, off uh, uh, the app on iOS 16 so that uh, you can't use it in part because they have to guarantee a certain amount of reliability um, to meet um, uh, Food and Drug Administration rules. So that's a um, um, an unfortunate piece because it looks like there's some great features in that. I probably will install it on my iPad, though. I'm not quite there yet. Um, in fact, I didn't get a chance to, to throw that in my bag this morning before I left uh, for Helena. Um, but I do think that there's some um, – uh, I do want to check out what that does on, on uh, the iPad. Definitely. What else is, is going on in Apple world? Sure. Well, uh, there's been a big controversy going on, and, and I guess I'm not sure if it really has much to do uh, with education, but it's both of Apple users. I want to get your sense of this, but uh, there's been a lot of hand-wringing over the fact that Apple will not adopt RCS technology. Um, which is, uh, I hope I got that, uh, um, I got that acronym right, but that is the advanced text, texting technology that has been largely adopted by Android, 
um, that it's, it's an open uh, standard that gives you iMessage-like features with regular texting. It includes things like editing text, adding emphasis to text. Uh, um, I believe you can also uh, do read receipts and other things that are very uh, iMessage-like. And Apple's refused to adopt it, um, saying that they already have a, a thing they like already, thank you, um, and that uh, you know there's no reason for them to do it. And uh, it's been as... Uh, uh, pushy enough that Tim Cook, CEO Tim Cook, uh, actually told someone, um, I believe it was during a live broadcast, that wanted to know when it, when they would get rid of the green bubbles. If you're an Apple user, you know that someone has a green bubble, it means they're not on iMessage and that they're just getting it via regular texting technology. He said, well, the best way to get rid of the green um, uh, bubbles is to buy an iPhone. So I, I, you know, it's interesting because you know Apple uh, isn't the well isn't the, the the primary player with phones around the world, but it it certainly dominates some markets. It's certainly dominated the United States market, um, and there are lots of countries where the iPhone is number one. But it it's just super interesting that uh, I, I'm not sure if I I mean like I wish that they'd adopt RCS technology, but I guess I don't really care. Like, I feel like Apple's in the dominant position here. They've, they've had a technology way older than RCS uh, that does most of the features anyways. Yes, it's not compatible with Android, but so any thoughts about this, this debate, sir? Interesting in that article was that there was a, a court case where um, one of the Apple ex- I guess execs, and, and he speaks sometimes at the Apple events, or he had Eddie Q. Um, had testified that Apple could have made an Android version of iMessage that was compatible with iOS, but they they haven't done that. Yeah. No, I'm torn. I'm not very surprised because, you know, Apple has wanted to have, you know, exclusive features and, you know, reasons to, uh, you know, be in the the Apple ecosystem. Uh, And I think that iMessage and, and text messaging within the iMessage environment, like, you know, continuity, being able to have your devices on, you know, phone, screen. Um, and then, you know, it wasn't that long ago that it was a big deal to send free messages, right? You had a limit on how many text messages you could send, but iMessages were going to be unlimited. And that's not as much of a case, I think, with most carriers that have unlimited texting. I really want to see us not only move the text messaging standard forward, but the phone standard. Uh, and yeah. I don't know of anybody, and I haven't honestly tried to dive deep into the research of this. I'm sure there's folks that have ideas and maybe they even have plans, but I'm, I haven't read about those um, because, you know, the level of phone spam, the level of text messaging spam, yeah. the inadequacy of the carriers to really fight this and carriers try to fight it and they do. Um, and then with, you know, varying amounts of, of success, um, Apple you know, attempts to do this, but it really, it's just so hard to not be shielded from crime. I was talking to a colleague today, you know, when you purchase a home, usually you're looking at crime and am I in a safe area? You know, today you, you basically, I don't know how we can be shielded from online crime. 
I'm, I'm honestly thinking about changing my own cell phone number. And I've wondered, is there a way to find out if I can get a number that, that doesn't get a lot of spam already? You know, that whoever had it before didn't put that number out there. At least in changing numbers, I can, I could disassociate myself from the number because like probably most people, I go to CVS, I go to the grocery store, I go to all these places. Oh yes, here's my number. Please give me the discount, et cetera. So, I don't think Apple is going to be making or breaking that kind of a big thing like, oh, the whole telephony system, you know, needs to move forward. But in a way, they kind of are because Google is trying to have a standard. The Internet is based on standards. And part of the reason we can have this conversation right now and, you know, send email and all of this is because of standards and the fact that different companies and different countries, you know, end up using these these similar kinds of standards. So. I wonder if perhaps there's going to be at some point some regulatory intervention by probably Europe that's going to lead the United States as they, they have with GDPR and privacy. Maybe that's going to push this forward, but I'm not surprised that, that Apple wants to maintain this, this differentiator. And I'm reminded of FaceTime, right? You now can do some, some level of FaceTime with Android users and with Windows users, but for a long time, zero and they were like hey you want to facetime somebody you get a mac you get you you get an apple device so i think it's just kind of apple's modest operandi and i think it'll probably take government regulation to push that forward because i don't i don't see them changing and i think they're going to want to continue to have that as a differentiator say hey you know join our ecosystem because we've got the the better product or that's going to continue to be their argument yep totally and um, you know, I, the phone number is a ubiquitous identification marker, right? Like that, that's a, a huge problem here. Um, and there's also huge problems with telephone numbers. They're easy to uh, create, uh, uh, I think it's man in the middle attacks, right? Where you can be between, or you can spoof a, a SIM card on, on a cell tower. I mean, there's all sorts of pieces that make those, uh, to make your cell phone, uh, you know, less uh, secure. And the chance of something happening to you in that scenario randomly is pretty low. The chance of you happening, happening something someone's targeting you, however, is pretty good. Uh, and because these networks aren't all that secure and there's lots of issues uh, therein. So, yeah, that's an interesting uh, point about, you know, uh, developing that type of communication technology. But, you know, I... Uh, maybe I'd feel differently right now if I were still an Android guy. Uh, since I did flip back forth, I changed fanboy allegiances um, a, a year or two back. But um, the the bottom line is is that you know I, I everyone complaining how unfair it is. I mean that's they're the market leader. Yeah, yeah, it is. But again, um, standards are are an important piece of the puzzle yeah. as far as how internet interoperability works and. And how things move forward, and so uh, I, I, I'd be surprised if if Google and consumers are able to move, you know, government in the United States forward on this. But Europe has seemed to be a lot more aggressive with this. We've talked about in the past, like you know, USB C as a standard, and it seems like that's what Europe is going to force Apple to do is to make USB C the standard and replace Lightning, you know, in iPhones as as well as in um, iPads. And yeah. so again, maybe regulation is going to, is going to play into that, but that's part of the, the whole interest here is the international side of this. And the fact that, you know, we're, we're dealing with a global stage. We're not just dealing with one particular country. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, I think, I don't know. I, I, I just, I wish there were ways to be shielded 
uh, a little bit better. Um, obviously, the standard is about you know function and and improving and, and building upon what we've taken for granted with text messaging. But perhaps we need to you know leave text messaging behind. I mean, text messaging nope. as a standard can't be encrypted um, in terms of its its basic version. I, I don't know. I think this might be something there's, you know, much smarter folks than us at DARPA uh, and other places that are looking at, you know, technologies and emerging things. And this would be, if anybody's listening, you know, listening to the show, if anyone's out there, um, whatever you listen to, I would, I would love to know some of the future plans for telephony and, and what, you know, how text messaging fits into that. And, you know, Bell Labs, AT&T Labs, all that. They've always been far ahead of thinking about things and you know that they're, there's there, there's smart minds that are that are working on this, but if they have a near term solution to these issues, I don't think it's it's uh, at least common knowledge that people have. So anyway, yeah. we're probably stuck, we're probably stuck where we are. That's my unfortunately pessimistic view. Okay, one other article I want to share. Uh, if you happen to be uh, in the market for one of these new fancy iPhone 14s, as Dr. Fryer is, is that uh, based on something we talked about last week. Um, that is starting to get more play in the tech media is that iPhone 14s are eSIMs only. And for those that um, haven't paid that close attention when they update uh, phones, uh, it used to be that you had a little tiny card in your phone called SIM card. Um, it used to be a big chunky card and it got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And now it's a half this or fourth of the size of a postage stamp. And you have a slot in your phone uh, that you can uh, oftentimes remove from your phone using a paperclip. And um, there you go. You have access to the SIM card tray and all you have to do is stick the SIM card in there and it knows what your phone number is and it hooks it to your account. Um, the SIM card technology has improved over the years. It's not 100% secure. There are some minor issues with the technology, but it's been the mainstay of, of, of uh, mobiles uh, for, for decades now. Um, it, one of the advantages of, a, of the SIM card system was that if I were going to go to Europe and I did not have access to um, uh, uh, cell towers there, if I had one of the U.S. carriers that didn't have international coverage or the international coverage was expensive, uh, T-Mobile's free, by the way. Uh, if you, you know, go to uh, London, you can oftentimes at a kiosk in the airport put, you know, uh, $5 in a machine and get a SIM card that you just pop in your phone and that's your new phone number. And it gives you X amount of data and X number of minutes and X number of text messages. And suddenly you have a European phone number um, or I should say a, a, a British phone number. Um, sometimes you can get a multi-country SIM. There are international SIMs that are covered everywhere. You can prepay for them uh, in, in a lot of cases. And that was technology that runs this. So instead, there's now an iPhone 14 going to be a code um, that it's an eSIM code that uh, you can utilize it a couple different ways. And I want to share this really great article from 9to5Mac that talks about, so what does this mean to you? If you're not aware of this or if you have some thoughts or feelings about it, uh, it's a good article that kind of helps you through it. And basically, there's going to be a conversion tool that if you're uh, updating from another iPhone, um, uh, there's going to be a process to convert it to an eSIM, which sounds like it'd be the easiest or you can get a, a QR code from your carrier that will do it as well to help program it with an eSIM, or you can convert a physical, an existing physical SIM to an eSIM with your current iPhone before you update. And so there's instructions there uh, on how to do that. 
Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a little uh, not great for folks like myself, actually, that, you know, oftentimes will switch phones, you know, every couple of months, you know, maybe to an older phone if I get bored with the technology, which I sometimes do. It hasn't really been the case for me lately. He's great with the SIMs because you could just pull the SIM card out and stick it in another phone and then your number is transferred there. But there's a lot of convenience to the eSIM, and it does make uh, a lot of processes easier. So thoughts, Dr. Fryer, about the eSIM revolution? On popping out SIM cards, I think that did depend upon the network technology that you used, right? Because there's GSM. Yes. I don't have this off the top of my tongue so or the tip of my tongue because I'm reading this. But GSM, Global System for Mobiles, and then CDMA, which is Code Division Multiple Access. Um, CDMA was, or it has been Verizon and Sprint, and then T-Mobile AGT was GSM. So I wonder if that's going to, I think they've been, and I think I remember hearing this in the event, because I got to hear most of the Apple event last week live, that I haven't for a while the phones had everything they need to do both networks, so you haven't had to necessarily get a sprint phone or yeah that's uh, correct and that's especially true with iphone there had been specific versions in the past um but recently they just stick both technologies in i also my other understanding is that verizon's actually moving more towards gsm uh that 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 they're going to be eventually compatible uh with that technology i think that's that's my understanding of the situation but um yeah that that uh that's been true yeah. Well, in the nine to five article, nine to five Mac article that you posted also notes that Steve Jobs never wanted iPhone to have a SIM card. Yeah. I think this is a, this is a power issue in some respects. I think, I think it'll, I mean, if the security is there, then I think it benefits consumers as far as portability and ease to some extent. Um, I, I'm wondering if you'll be able to have a couple SIM cards. I know some Android phones, I don't know if you've had one of those, you know, would actually allow you, I think, simultaneously to use more than one SIM card. Well, actually, I played with this a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Fryer. Um, I have kind of a crazy idea, which I don't want to go through now because I'm going to sound like an, an evil genius or something. I, and I cut all my hair off, so I'm not an evil genius anymore. So, um, but I was testing having, because I have a SIM card in my iPhone 13, but you can also add an eSIM on top of your SIM card. So I purchased, um, I, no, I didn't purchase. I actually had a seven-day free trial for Mint Mobile. I just downloaded the app and installed an eSIM uh, uh, along with my, my regular SIM, which is a T-Mobile SIM. And then I could uh, I could receive calls from both phone numbers because I tested that. I could receive text from both phone numbers. And if I want to switch data plans, I just had to go into settings and click a setting that switched me from one data plan or the other. So, Mike, I, I will say my crazy idea, and this is a, a little out there, but um, Visible, which is the uh, MVNO, actually it's not MVMO, it's owned by, it's the low-cost carrier that Verizon owns. Uh, is on the Verizon network, and they just updated their technology to where it works a little better uh, uh, ping-wise. But they have a $30 a month plan, and I was going to purchase that plan and make it the secondary plan to my T-Mobile on my iPhone 13 so that when I'm traveling, uh, uh, particularly in the back roads of Montana where Verizon tends to have more uh, cell coverage, then I could just switch over to the Verizon tower uh, and use the data that way. So again, I'm a huge nerd. Hey, so living in a large state and facing these kinds of issues, yeah. 
at some point, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Neifer will have the Starlink satellite, you know, right on top of his car. Yeah. And, uh, he'll just be able to do that wherever. But hmm, that's pretty fascinating. I mean, I've run into that. You know, my parents are in Kansas. That's that's where I, I grew up. Um, you know, big, big variations between cell phone carriers as far as what kind of I mean, back in the day, you know, it was edge versus 3G and. Anyway, it was it just it, it really mattered who you who you had. So um, I think that um, the the power shift here it, it's gonna it's gonna make things easier for Apple. And again, Apple is in a pretty strong position because of the number of iPhone users they have and uh, the market clout that they have. Um, so has Android had eSIM for a while, or what, where is where does Android stand with eSIM? Yeah, there. I mean, you know, it, it it's not on all phones, but most of the well, most, if not all, the flagship phones do eSIMs now too. So, yeah. right, well, that's kind of the way of the future. So. Yeah, totally. Well, and apparently, in the iPhone, you can have many eSIMs on there, but you can only have two active at once. But you can switch, still switch between them, and that's kind of interesting, right? Setting down, um, you know, in uh, London, and instead of um, instead of sticking another SIM in. You just, uh, you know, buy the card with the the um, QR code on it. You scan it, and now you've got a SIM on your phone. So that's interesting too. As I ponder the the, the pros and cons of possibly changing my number now that I'm in a new state, you know, I wonder. I guess it might be possible with the newer phones uh, if the carrier would allow me to do this to to have both numbers. And then once all the two step and everything like that, because that's one of my concerns. Yeah. Is, over, then I could go ahead and, you know, turn off, turn off the old one. So that's pretty wow. interesting. Pretty interesting. Well, Dr. Neifer has given me, uh, you know, lots of persuasive reasons to, you know, dive into air tags and other kinds of technology. So, Hey, may, I mean, I've been committed to the use swap of phones for quite a while, but between oh, carriers- wait, hold on, Dr. Fryer. I've got an air tag story to tell you. Oh, you do. Okay. I great. Do. So, um, Last weekend, I was in Nashville, Tennessee um, for two days, and I was uh, uh, hanging out with NCCE people there, and um, uh, they had their their National Trainer Summit uh, over the weekend, and I flew a red-eye flight from uh, Missoula to Nashville on Thursday night. It was Missoula, Seattle, Seattle, Dallas-Fort Worth, Dallas-Fort Worth, Nashville, Um and it it was a, a pretty rough overnight. I mean, I slept pretty well. I did rent a, 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 a what's called a minute suite, a, a little hotel room at Dallas Fort Worth for three hours and took a nap. That was actually very smart of me to do because it felt better at the end of the day. But I landed in Nashville and my bag's not there, right? So, well, I know my bag is there because my AirTag says it's there, right? So I keep waiting, I keep waiting, I keep waiting. It says it can see it, but it's not close enough, so I can't get it, any triangulation on it. So I finally go over to the desk uh, of the airline and say, where's my bag? And so he says, yeah, can I see your ticket? Um, so I show him my ticket. And he says, oh, I'm sorry, sir, that bag is still in Seattle. And I said, no, it's not in Seattle. I said, it's it's here. He says, well, how do you know that? He said, well, I have an air tag on it. And and I showed him the location of it. I said, it's it's somewhere, I think, about within the 200-foot radius of, of the spot. So he said, okay, well, give me a second. So he calls 
two people and finds out that an earlier agent had taken it over to another airline's desk because that's the original airline I flew. I flew two different airlines to get to my destination. So um, he said, I'm so glad that you had the air tag because I would have just told you that your bag was in Seattle and it could have been days before we found the bag again. Uh, So, yeah, super interesting. Air tag to the rescue. Yep. $25 of pretty cool tracking technology. I think that's a that's a good enough technology to say don't fly without it. I mean, yeah, seriously. Yeah, I think so too. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. All right. Well, going okay, around now. Well, Dr. Fryer, I think it's time, sir. I think you need to tell me what stable diffusion is. Okay. All right. Well, so kind of mind-blowing and you may have have seen some videos about this. So, I um I put the English Wikipedia article in here first. Stable Diffusion is an AI technology that allows you to basically type in text and have the computer draw the pictures and and do that with a lot of detail and kind of amazing and uncanny, not only accuracy, but also like sort of creative savvy, like to know kind of what as a human, you know, you might find artistic and, and interesting. So according to the English Wikipedia, Stable Diffusion is a machine learning text-to-image model developed by Stability AI in collaboration with two other companies to generate digital images from natural language descriptions. And the picture that they have currently is an astronaut riding a horse. Well, um, I put a article, actually this is a blog post, so this is kind of interesting, I'm, you know, 2005, I became an Apple Distinguished Educator and got to go out to California and network with some amazing folks. And I'm in a new school now, so I updated my <clears throat> profile that that uh, ADEs have on Apple's website. And so as a result, I found that Marcus Weatherill uh, had set up a new Twitter account, and I followed him. Oh, look, I'm still his only follower. Uh, he's, he uh, puts in his Twitter profile it's M-D-W-I-C-T. It's his Twitter handle. Go follow him. He'll have more followers. That um, he's an ICT teacher in Singapore, all views are his own. Um, well, he wrote a blog post, which I uh, favorited and retweeted. And I put that link into our uh, show notes. And let me make sure I get this into our chat as well. Okay, so that's the, the link I just put in. It shows two pictures. Hey, and by the way, Jason, this is Seattle. So here, NCCE, this article on his website, andes.page, is a wonderful walkthrough of what it's like to vision to with natural language describe a scene and then iteratively create. Well, and I guess also I should say, um, no, I guess that was it. He just well, he he did some drawing, but then he he had the uh, the image software improve it. Okay, so. Basically, what he what he wanted to do was create a sort of a sci-fi, you know, um, oh, how does he describe it? A massive alien object hovering over a long abandoned Seattle with a burning orange sky and buildings overgrown as nature reclaimed the city. <clears throat> so if you scroll through this, it's going to talk exactly about how he did this. Now, in the world of deep fakes and, and all this, this is some this is some pretty incredible technology. And I have seen a video on YouTube. I don't think I put this as a geek of the week. But, um, you know, there are folks getting access. And I think one of my middle school students actually applied to get access to this and is able to use it. Okay, so we have an actual article uh, from Ars Technica. I actually have two um, from today. China's most advanced AI image generator already blocks political content. So this technology um, is allowing 
you know, anyone with access to the software and then the hardware that is able to run it to type in descriptive words in natural language and then have that image created. Well, China has already had its version of this modified so that, quote, political images, images that mention Tiananmen Square, that mention other kinds of sensitive locations. Of course, if I say them out loud, I mean, I just said Tiananmen Square, um, you know, the Uyghurs in Western China, there's there are a, a persecuted group. There's there are. It's not he who should not be named, but there are words that may not be said. You know, we can't say that the war in Ukraine is a war in Russia. Otherwise, you know, President Putin is going to throw us and throw somebody in jail. And in China, you can't say these things or you may be, you know, disappeared and, and sent to a reeducation camp. So the Great Firewall of China continues to expand and the AI generation software that's being used there already blocks political content. And I thought that was notable. But the last one under here is actually for us as uh, Apple M1 Mac users. Um, and this is from a source, which I'm actually not familiar with, called CDM. <clears throat> but this was from yesterday. It says, locally sourced, you can now run stable diffusion AI art generation on your M1 Mac. And no, I have not tried this yet. In fact, I'm not... I'm not so, I think maybe I have compiled something once from GitHub with some, with a friend's help or something, but like, I, I have, I don't roll with that kind of thing. Just like, oh yeah, this is a Git, GitHub thing that I follow. And, you know, I compile things. I download installers and am, am less of a, of a savvy, you know, developed development type to do that. Hey, this, good, good news. Actually, um, you don't, there is, I'll put the link uh, here in the private chat, or no, I'm sorry, in our notes. Um, they have a compiled version. They do have a compiled version. Okay. The article says that, uh, well, I've been talking to my kids about this, and I'm excited. Hopefully, I'll get to share in a few weeks. <clears throat> when I went to the Atlas Conference in Orlando in May, there was an amazing session that showed how you could use a free Google tool to train with your voice, to create your own data set, to make your own um, machine learning algorithm. And it was, it's incredible. And it shows how easily biased systems are based on their data sets. So this article that's a, from CSM that's talking about running it on your M1 Mac says that you're not truly able to shape the data set yourself. And so the results that you get are going to be, you know, biased or highly influenced by the data set that, that you're getting here. But there's a video uh, that's a demo that you can check out. And I just think it's kind of an incredible technology. And I had a visit with our tech director at our school this week um, about a course maybe in the future for art and technology. We started that as an elective maybe two years ago at our middle school. Um, and actually our makerspace teacher who, who teaches seventh and eighth grade is the one who partnered with our art teacher. But really amazing and wonderful creativity that came out of that class with so many different kinds of tools and projects and things that the kids were working on. So this is something a lot of folks may not have heard of. I kind of thought about doing it as a geek of the week, but then I found a couple news articles about it. And I just think it's kind of fascinating. And the fact that AI is allowing us with natural language to not only just Here's a one-time art piece, but as that blog post that I shared explains, you can ratchet up or down different variables for how much blending and how much almost creativity and sort of permission to, to 
I don't even know the right words, but sort of to be creative that the program can have. And then you can shape that based upon drawings that you haven't analyzed, or you can just flat out have it, you know, come up with its own, its own images. It's, it's kind of mind boggling. And I continue to talk, especially with my robotics classes about AI. We're going through the age of AI um, YouTube series by Robert with hosted by Robert Downey Jr. That's from 2019 <clears throat> because, you know, we're already interacting with a lot of systems that involve machine learning from TikTok to YouTube, basically every kind of social media. But the ability that our students will have and can have to use AI systems and then even design them and code them and how we need to understand that in order to be well prepared to navigate the world. Um, I think it's relevant because, hey, if you can run this on an M1 Mac, you know, maybe your kids don't have that kind of machine, but it could be something you can demo or it's something they can do at home. And if you can run it on an M1 Mac today, you know, capabilities are just going to get bigger and bigger. So maybe, Jason, <clears throat> we can find a sort of terminal, because I know with Chrome, we've talked with Kevin Tofel would probably know this, you know, is there some kind of a system other than renting, you know, access on a on a server somewhere that you would be able to to do this kind of a, a thing, like on a Chromebook? You know, you're probably going to have yeah. a terminal window and it's going to run on a more powerful server, but I bet there's systems that are going to be out there to do that. So have you heard of this at all and, and mess with well, this? I have, right, from the standpoint that I've seen some creators talk about it, right? I guess I just, I didn't know what it was. And um, the, I will tell you that you, uh, huggingface.co, that link, which is uh, on, um, uh, maybe you shared it or it's on one of the pages. It's the web-based version of this. I just tried two different searches and the first one wasn't a big deal. I said, uh, I want to see a picture of a teacher riding an elephant so uh, it took about three minutes uh, to get through the queue, and then it popped up an image that kind of looks like someone that looks like a teacher riding an elephant. But the one that's blowing, blowing me away a little bit more is that I said Bob Hope walking through Seattle. So it took f four minutes to, to do it. I don't know if that it, it took more time to complete the image or if it, it, it is pausing me because it's trying to slow down people's usage of it because it seems like it's pretty popular and I would imagine resource intensive. Um, none of these are pictures of Bob Hope, but they look like Bob Hope and he's in modern Seattle uh, and it's, it's a little mind blowing. So it's, it, uh... go ahead. That blog post that I mentioned that's the walkthrough of this, um, he talked about putting in the names of specific artists and how that then shaped the kind of art that was created and what are the intellectual property implications of this because probably today and certainly soon, these AI systems are going to be able to create works of art that will not be readily differentiatable or you can't tell the difference between something created, you know, by that actual artist and then something that the computer is doing. And the whole idea of the thing I, I'm loving about it, and I think it's awesome you were just able to run some of these because I haven't dove deep into it, is the chance for students. This isn't just something we have to share and say, and, oh, isn't that cool? No, let's do it. Let's play with it. I actually used Akinator because didn't I share that one as a geek of the week? That's the one where you ask, it asks you yes or no questions. You think of a character or an object, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, yep. 
And actually, one of my students pointed out there's a slider to hide or show sensitive content, which means, you know, informature, not appropriate for school. Even if right. even if that is turned off, you can get some stuff that's not appropriate. So I don't know that I'm going to use that example. But like being able to to have a web interface that allows you to try some things and interact with an AI system directly uh, is is kind of wild. And I think it's good, but like getting our heads around all of that, like, I, I think I'm going to have to think about this a lot more. Um, we certainly are, have talked about deep fakes and we talk about politics and, oh my gosh, you know, the next election cycle is going to be even worse because guess what? People are going to be able to make whoever the candidate is, you know, look, not only look however they want and place them anywhere they want. And we've had Photoshop for years, but, you know, with video and deep fakes, they'll be able to say things. But it's not all evil and bad. <laughs> so, you know, being able to come at like the like this teacher in, in, I think, Singapore did, you know, coming up with an idea for an artistic piece and then iteratively using this computer algorithm to generate an image that you find artistically satisfying. That's wild. And I think these kinds of systems that are allowing for that kind of direct interaction and malleability or whatever, just being able to play with yeah. it. Uh, I'd like to, to know more about those and, and play with them. Not because I think this is going to, you know, solve the ransomware crisis or, or make me a more efficient, you know, deliverer of content as a teacher. I think AI is just a tremendously important part of the evolving puzzle of humanity and our culture. And having some ways to intersect with this ambiguous thing, which we tend to sort of think of Terminator and really negative dystopian, you know, visions of the future. It's, it's affecting us today. We're interacting with systems, but, but a lot of that is sort of opaque and we don't really realize it as much when we're, we're on TikTok or on YouTube and, and that kind of thing. And so those kinds of tools that are allowing you to, maybe it does take a few minutes, but have some results and then kind of be amazed like, wow, um, I think that could certainly be a good catalyst for conversation, but I don't even, I don't even have all of my thoughts together on, on all of it, but I just, I know it's yeah. something incredible and now it's at your fingertips and Hey, look at that. There's a webpage version that, you know, you can use on a Chromebook or whatever device you, you have. It's yeah. By the way, I just did type in Jason Neifer speaking and it did show me some images that had a vague resemblance to me. So, okay. so I would imagine, uh, and I just typed in West Fryer speaking. So I'll be able to tell you probably in about 10 or 15 seconds here, how, like how close that is. And I think you have a little more of a digital footprint than I do uh, in that particular regard. But, um, you know, it's obviously accessing pools of information to create these images. Um, well, no, yeah. Couple of these actually look like I would, I would also put out a, caution, a cautionary tale or a cautionary statement. Um, this is really avant-garde stuff. And when we're talking about generative images, I mean, I've said for a long, long time, like, and just remind teachers, let's not do live Google image searches in front of children. You know, even yeah, if oh, you've, so true. you've got, you know, whatever filtering and, and, and whatever. I mean, there's just too many circumstances where something comes up that you're not expecting. I use icon websites. I use the noun project. Um, you know, you just, you, we got to be careful with this. Yeah. So I think this is an example of a tool 
that is worth exploring and kind of getting our, our heads around and thinking about, but I certainly wouldn't consider this ready for prime time. Hey, show this to your students, you know, tomorrow, next week, um, because I have no idea what it's going to generate. And if you look at chat bots and things that are, have been allowed to be publicly trained by, by data sets that come from the public, those, those go dark, you know, there's, there's some, there's some, some bad stuff there. So anyway, this is, Interesting. It's certainly on the, the far geek side. I mean, if you'd asked me, you know, a couple of weeks ago or whatever, I mean, even if you'd asked me earlier uh, about stable diffusion, I mean, I had seen some examples of this, but I, that phrase and that name had not registered with me about what it is. So I think it's a, it's a big deal. It's, it's worth checking out. Uh, maybe it's just fits in the category of that's fairly interesting, but it's super powerful and AI is, we are probably not comprehending the ways in which that, you know, there's some seismic changes coming to pretty much every profession and, and a lot of aspects of our lives, maybe not every aspect, but a lot of them. So, all right, there you go. Very true. All right. I talked a long time about that. Do you want to take one more article before we geek of the week and get out of here? Um, it's a little late. So we, we technically, we have eight minutes actually. It says we've been on for 52 minutes, so we're okay. Oh, um, Time Magazine today, and I think they're quoting an AP article, says that TikTok users are more likely to see misinformation on elections, vaccines, and more, according to researchers. And um, uh, they found that nearly one in five of the videos automatically suggested by the platform contained misinformation. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I we've talked a little bit about the it's just really interesting that there's a lot of uh, sudden realization that TikTok has become an information source as much as it's become, um, uh, uh, you know, a, a kind of an entertainment piece. And frankly, I watch TikTok videos for the informational purposes. I might not be looking for political information, but um, I certainly like barbecue TikTok, right? And it's, that's the kind of informant I'm looking for there. But I would go even a step farther to say that there's another article that kind of relates to this, which is about Google. Um, this is from Vox on September 6th. Sundar Pichai, who's the, the CEO of Google, says that, uh, you know, the world, um, the world says that, that uh, Google doesn't really have a real competitor. And he says, we very much consider Google to be a competitor. I'm sorry, TikTok to be a competitor and that it's a place where people are going for information now. And if Google's telling you that, and I don't, I, I think that, that they're, they're spot on that we need to be thoughtful about that. Now, does that mean we should be, you know, TikToking in the classroom? Well, I think there's enough sketchy stuff about TikTok that, you know, you'd want to be real careful to use it for anything, um, you know, very serious. But more importantly, you know, we do need to be talking about, like, even if they, they are using TikTok for search, you still have to verify it, right? Like good media literacy is a really important part about how this might work. We're doing a sketch note this uh, today and or in tomorrow uh, in class. That's a wonderful um, crash course on on what is it called? Navigating digital information uh, crash course. It's a it's a PBS Studios by John Green and it's called uh, using Wikipedia. And it, the information is so fast and we're pausing it and we're to try to sketch note it. It is. I just don't think that we have a really good way to deal with the onslaught and the flood 
of of information and the fact that you know TikTok is China based. I, I mean, we've heard different both politicians as well as government officials basically tried to dissuade folks in the United States from using TikTok at all. And there were, you know, talk during the Trump administration of, of TikTok, you know, <laughs> wild things happening, the sale of it and, you know, just the banning of it and, and these kinds of things. But I don't know. I just think we're in for some wild times because we recognized over time that Google has a huge power over society overall because of the search results that it shows but I think we've felt better about that knowing they're based in the United States and Silicon Valley and whatever. But as TikTok is ascendant and yes, it's China that's just, you know, making these kinds of decisions about what's going to be shown and what's not. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see how they respond to political disinformation. Uh, if, if people are able to manipulate that platform and you know, how, how the United States responds and uh, it's a real wild west. And the thing that's also like, like you said, I don't think teachers should be creating, creating instructional videos and putting them on TikTok with students. I don't think we should be doing that. Um, I've actually, you know, talked to my kids about cooking videos that I do and I've, I've shown them, you know, I, I, I cook with Wes, you know, TikTok. Is that okay? I think that's probably okay. But um, there is just no telling what, folks are going to encounter there. And it's kind of like the AI stuff. I feel like as teachers, we have responsibilities to be playing with media, to be involved in using these platforms and to try to, you know, stay, stay abreast of where literacy is, where communication is and all those sorts of things. So those are fascinating articles. And yeah, when it's like sort of, what was that? When EF Hutton speaks, people listen. When Sundar Pichai speaks, <laughs> people should listen. The CEO of, of Google. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see the, the role that TikTok, especially because of its Chinese ownership plays in us politics and, and elections. Um, because, who would have thought, who would have thunk, <clears throat> but whoever it is in the TikTok organization or the government of China, as we see them continue to exert influence over all of this, they're going to potentially have a substantial influence on U.S. elections and hopefully not results. But it's a fascinating thing when these technologies are ascendant and so many people are getting their information from those sources, which are gatekept in, in, in different ways. And I'm thankful that they are because I don't want you know, an onslaught of sewage, which would ensue if there was absolutely no gatekeeping to the content. So wild. Yeah, totally. Okay. All right. Shall we geek of the week it? Yeah. Um, I'll just, I just have a quick one. Um, I'm now starting to fly places again. So it's a kind of a big deal for me. My wife and I are going to take a vacation in November uh, by airplane for the first time. Uh, thank goodness for um, good quality N95 masks. Um, but, uh, I, I, it's been a while since I had status on any airlines. So I've, I've been uh, having to book the, um, you know, the, the, the regular folk seats, uh, in the back of, uh, the back of the plane. Um, and even if you can't afford to get into, you know, premium comfort is what it's called on some airlines or, or be able to hack seats. Otherwise you can sometimes get a slightly better seat because you know, the airplane, right. And that's exactly 
what the whole uh, element behind Sea Guru is. It's now, um, it's been a while for, around for a long time, but you basically put your, your flight information in, it tells you what kind of plane you're on, and it tells you what the best seats on the airplanes are, even ones that are not uh, in a premium class. So um, I am a bit of an air, airline geek myself, so this is pretty geeky stuff, uh, but I guess not a surprise coming from me. So um, Sea Guru, Wes. That's awesome. All right. Well, mine, uh, I will call an online safety tip. And I actually posted this to Facebook today, and I'll put in the link to the Twitter thread, which I created, which, by the way, is an excellent we – t- we sometimes will say, oh, my gosh, you can't have conversations. Twitter Conversations is a different thing, but when you want to share more than 240 characters, a Twitter thread works because you reply to the last – you know, tweet and you can create this chain. So my online safety tip is if your bank calls you alerting you about fraudulent charges on your account, hang up immediately, dial the bank yourself with a verified phone number, you know, is correct. Uh, don't give them information. Just hang up. Recognize that cyber criminals can actually spoof the number of your bank. And so this is a type of spear phishing. So sometimes when, you know, spam is sent out, it's just everybody, hey, the Nigerian prince needs your money and everyone gets the same email. <clears throat> but if you receive a phone call that is from someone who knows your bank and then they've actually spoofed the number so that you see in your contacts, oh, my bank is calling, we need people to know that this is possible and and there's probably different points of the day and and just our lives when we're more susceptible to these kinds of things we need to encourage everyone to be very very careful <clears throat> because the amount of not just spam calls but targeted attacks that are happening because they can happen from anywhere. They can be launched from anywhere. Um, it is a big, big problem. So there's a little bit more to that thread, but that is the gist of it. And that is your internet safety public service announcement for the day. Well, thank you, Dr. Fryer. And, you know, and I think it's important to talk about, you know, Wes and I, we know, we know some stuff about tech and the attacks are becoming very sophisticated. So, you know, have these conversations with your friends and family and tell people to be really cynical when they hear things. And, you know, because I, I just don't, you know, the, the social nature of how this is happening now, I think everyone is susceptible to this. So, you know, be careful out there. Absolutely. Well, Wes, on that note, where can people find you on the Internet? I'm still at westfriar.com slash after, and I have links to all of my channels there. But W Fryer on Twitter is generally the fastest way to get a hold of me. How about you? Awesome. Uh, Twitter's the place to find me to tech savvy teach, but this here is the tech situation room. We are once a week podcast. We're on Wednesday nights at 7 PM mountain time, 9 PM Eastern time. And sometime in the middle of the night, if you happen to be in Europe, uh, if you can't join us live, although we wish you would, we're on YouTube and Facebook, uh, links come out on our, our Twitter account at tech SR. Then you can always download us wherever finer podcasts are aggregated. Um, or at our website at techsr.com. But thank you for joining us tonight. We hope you stay safe and stay savvy, and we hope to see you next time on the EdTech Situation Room. Good night. Thanks, everybody.